0: Hello, everyone. Great to see you all. Last week we started our series on what we're calling Respectable Sins and Neglected Virtues. I've just realised I've worn a shirt that matches the uh, <laughs> colour scheme from up there. Someone last week suggested it looked like a gender reveal party or something. But um, uh, anyway, Respectable Sins and Neglected Virtues... Uh, and by the way, thank you for all the uh, feedback slips uh, and questions and emails out of last week's service. Nice to hear when people find it helpful and I've enjoyed responding to lots of people's questions. So thank you for sending those through. Always feel free to do that. And I do want to say, last week's talk laid the groundwork for this whole series. So the, the series is going for five or six weeks, but uh, last week's talk laid the groundwork. So if you didn't hear last week... Please go home tonight, sometime this week, take the chance to listen to that first talk on the, on the website, because uh, it lays the groundwork. And there is one point that I made last week that I just want to really stress again. I want to say, please remember this and keep it in your mind before every one of these talks over the next few weeks. And that is, remember what I said, that the starting point is grace. The starting point is God's grace. Please remember, we are not thinking about putting off these sins, which is the the focal point of the next few weeks. We're not thinking about putting off these sins and putting on these virtues to earn God's love or or to earn God's forgiveness. No, we're thinking about these things because we have already been forgiven by trusting in Jesus. I want you to keep going back to what we've been reminded of again and again and again in the book of Romans this year as we've been studying it together when did God send his son to die for us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God, we're not sort of thinking how can we put off sin to earn God's love, we're thinking now as children of God, as people who know and love the Lord Jesus, as the new people God has saved us to be, how can we live for him? That's the purpose of what we're talking about. How can we now put off sin and put on righteousness? In fact, This is unpopular. People don't like this, what the Bible says. But a person who has not come to know Jesus cannot please God. Because, you see, it doesn't matter how much you try to put off sin and how much you try to put on so-called godly virtues, you will not meet God's standards. Uh, And more than that, you haven't done the fundamental thing that pleases God, which is recognise his son and put your trust in his son and believe in his son. So you see, we cannot meet God's standards unless we first trust in Jesus. We need to be washed clean, we need to be forgiven, we need a new heart, and then we live to serve and please God. So please make sure you don't forget that uh, as we think about putting off sin over the next few weeks. As I said last week, I how if people come to church over this series and think the point of Christianity is just trying a bit harder to be a better person? Now the point of Christianity is finding forgiveness in Christ. By trusting in him and then knowing that forgiveness now we seek to put off sin and put on righteousness. But now for the next five weeks we're thinking about five respectable sins uh, and their corresponding neglected virtues. So five areas of sin that perhaps we don't take as seriously as God takes and five areas of godliness that perhaps we don't treasure as much as God wants us to. Uh, And so for this first one I thought we should start with what I believe is the number one besetting sin at St. George North Anglican Church. So I I don't regularly claim to be a prophet, but on this I am a prophet and I can see into every heart of all the people who go to all our different congregations, from the five-year-olds through to the 99-year-olds, and I am saying our number one besetting sin is what we're talking about tonight. Now you might think, when I say our number one, the, the number one sin of people at St George North, you might have a different sin in, in mind. Uh, you might have all sorts of sins and chances are we'll deal with them later on in this series. And I think if you ask people outside the church, if you said, I'm going to church tonight and he's going to talk about what he says is the number one sin that people have, I think people out in the world would assume we're going to talk about sex or pornography or something because they think that's what the, the church cares about. But no, hands down, by so far the others are not even in the ballpark. The besetting sin of St. George North, including of its senior minister, is greed. Now, at this point, you might say, wow, is he he saying that St. George North is a particularly greedy church? Is he not happy with us? Is he taking the opportunity to to berate us about something here? But no, I'm not saying that. In fact, in my experience, ours is a wonderfully generous church. In fact, I think it's one of the most generous churches I've ever had the, the privilege of being a part of. Now, I believe this is our besetting sin... Because it's actually the sin of every church that I am aware of in Sydney. In fact, it's the besetting sin, I think, of perhaps every Christian in the Western world. Because we just live in a world that is driven by greed. The air we breathe is greed. The atmosphere we exist in is greed. Our world is driven by money and possessions, and so every day we're just told you need to buy more. We're even told it's a good thing. It's good for the economy if it, the economy keeps growing. When the economy slows down, the government says, we'll put $500 in your bank account and go buy a plasma TV to help the economy. You know, the, the way we just chase after more and more and more, even when we already have so much, I think if people from even 40 years ago came and looked at us now, at our society, but even if they came and looked in at us, in the church, they would be horrified by what we think we need and what we think we just deserve as a matter of right. The way way we obsess over real estate, the way way people, the the way the newspapers is is all about real estate, the, the way we upgrade devices when we have a perfectly good one that's already working in our hand. We're just part of a society, we're part of a system That normalizes greed and as we live in it we just sort of catch it and we just sort of go with the flow and so as Christians who live in this world greed shapes us remember I said last week that one of the problems we have when we're thinking about sin in our lives as Christians is that we tend to use the world as our standard remember I said we sort of just think if we're 20% better I made up the percentage but but if whatever it is if we're just a bit better than the world, then we're doing okay. And remember I said, that's a bit like saying, I'm aiming to get to Cape York and then saying, I'm happy I got to Hornsby. But being a bit further north than here doesn't mean you're at the top of Australia. We see, I fear that that is particularly true of this sin. I think this is our, the modern Western Christian, this is our spiritual blind spot, far more than many of the sins uh, that get all of the attention. But having said that, it's not just our culture it's not just our time, even if, even if ours has particularly taken greed and normalised it like, like none before it. This has actually been the sin of every generation. I've got a funny feeling if you just went back, remember I said 40, If someone from 40 years ago came, I reckon if someone from 40 years before them came to them, they would have said, you're the greediest and, and so on all the way back. Because this has been a problem ever since human beings first sinned. And you see how true that is by the fact that Jesus talked about this sin, more than any other sin. Have you ever noticed just how much of Jesus' teaching is about money and possessions? If you think back over the Gospels, in fact this week, go and just read one of Matthew, Mark, Luke or John from the beginning and read it through, you will be amazed if you're looking for it, how nearly every time Jesus wants to make a point about genuine repentance, about genuine faith, he focuses on money and possessions. It's amazing how much Jesus talks about money and possessions so just think of some of most famous stories that Jesus, Jesus taught and some of those famous interactions he had with people think of Zacchaeus you know the little guy climbed up the tree to see Jesus and Jesus calls him down and says come and eat with me and and welcomes him but then he says now Zacchaeus go back and pay back four times what you stole from people because real faith and repentance will impact your hip pocket the rich young ruler comes to Jesus he says I want to follow you Jesus Jesus says, well, go and sell everything you own. Give it to the poor. I could just go on and on. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's story after story that focuses on possessions and wealth. The parable of the rich fool, the story of the lady with the last coin at the temple. Time and time again, Jesus says, what you do with your money and your possessions shows the reality of your faith and repentance. It shows the reality of the state of our heart. But despite the amount of Bible devoted to it, greed seems to be just one of those acceptable sins uh, amongst Christians like us. And I wonder if that's because greed is really, really hard to define. There, there are other sins that are just much easier to say, I haven't done that, that's good, I, I know what I've got to do or what I've not got to do. You know, drunkenness. I, I, it's pretty clear when that person's drunk And and you can call it out, you can rebuke it, you can can challenge it either in your own life or someone else's. A harsh word, it's pretty clear when a harsh word is spoken, it's pretty clear when someone is angry, it's pretty clear when someone is malicious or, or gossiping. Greed is much harder to define. You see, think about it, one man's luxury is another man's necessity. How much money do I need? The Bible doesn't actually answer that question for you. How big a house do I need? Bible doesn't actually answer that question. How many holidays is, is it good to take? The, the Bible doesn't, where should you go on that holiday? What type of car should I, I buy? They're not questions the Bible gives a yes or no answer to and it can't because greed is about the heart and, and greed is about attitudes uh, and, and so this is what makes it difficult I think and that's what's going to make this an incredibly dissatisfying sermon for you. I'm sorry to say that so close to the start of the sermon. But I'm I'm not able to give you all the answers. I'm not able to say, if you just have this much money, that's enough. Because the Bible doesn't work like that. But Jesus does make radical calls in this area on those who would follow him. And I really want to start us all thinking tonight. That's the purpose. Uh, What would it look like to not just be a little bit better than our greedy world? What would it look like to to start to take Jesus seriously in this area, in this particular respectable sin or neglected virtue? Uh, Which all goes to say, we need to think about greed. And then we've got to think about the other side of the coin, which is contentment and generosity. So, let's get going. You'll need your outline tonight to follow along. Uh, You'll also see some things come up on the screen, some Bible verses so you don't have to be jumping around and flicking around. Uh, So, let's start with the Bible's view of money and possessions and the first thing to say is that it's really, really important to see that money and possessions are not evil in and of themselves. Sometimes Christians have misquoted the Bible from that reading we had before and say money is the root of all evil, as if money is is evil in and of itself and is the cause of all other evil and so Christians have said we should withdraw from the world and and take a vow of poverty and some religious orders still do that, actually started only like a hundred years or so after Jesus where people took themselves off into the desert and the most extreme of them lived on top of a pole They actually sat on top of a pole for years because they wanted to withdraw from the world. The irony of it is they needed other people who had money to bring them food to eat while they were up the pole but that was lost on them but the Bible doesn't actually say that is the Christian response, withdraw from the world, get rid of possessions. The Bible actually has two prongs to its view of money and possessions and the first is this, it's that God gives us his creation including money and including possessions to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. God actually gives us good things. Remember back Genesis chapter 1, God says, this world is good that I have made and it's to be enjoyed, but to be enjoyed within the limits set by his word. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, for everything created by God is good and nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So what you see there is that the right attitude to God's grace is not to shun it, not to withdraw like a, like a monk into a monastery. The right attitude is to give thanks to God for it, to, to enjoy it, but to do that within the limits that God's word sets. So it is not inherently wrong to own a house. It, it's not wrong to go on a nice holiday. It's not wrong to enjoy a nice meal. In fact, those things can be good things. It's right to receive God's good gifts with thanksgiving that's the first prong but I don't think most of us need an extended sermon series on that side of the coin I have not met if I can be a little frank I have not met many modern Christians at St George North who struggle to receive God's good blessings I I find most of us are pretty good at enjoying the things of this world am I wrong are there people here who struggle to enjoy God's good things I don't think so I think most modern Christians don't have any struggle at all with that we need the other prom. We need to hear the other strand of the Bible's teaching. And that is that these good gifts from God, and especially money, can very quickly become dangerous. And they can very quickly lead us away from God. And this is just a massive theme of the Bible. So I'm going to take us to the Sermon on the Mount It'll come up on the screen, from Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus teaching in perhaps his most famous sermon. And it's what he says. He says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal and then he goes on he says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also I think that's one of the most important verses a sort of a theme verse for tonight you see what you put your where you put your heart Where you you spend your treasure, where you store your treasures, shows where you're putting your heart. But it sort of works the other way as well. Where you put your heart will follow where you put your treasures. So if you start to put your treasures in, in the world, your heart will follow and it will go there. He goes on a couple of verses later. He says, No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. Isn't it amazing how Jesus just throws out these truth bombs? That's what I call them. You know, when you're reading the Gospels, and unless you've got a really hard heart, as you're reading, Jesus just sort of throws bombs to explode underneath. He, he says things in a way that leaves no wriggle room at all. And this is one of those amazing truth bombs where he says, you can't be a slave of two masters. You see, and even if we struggle with that, and if we say, oh, is Jesus right? That seems hard... We actually know his words are true, don't we? You see, we know deep down, even as we're hoarding our possessions, we know in our heart we can't take it with us when we die. Even non-Christians know this. They have their moments. But I say, yeah, yeah, you can't take it with you when you die. That's the point Jesus is making. We know that our houses, we know that, that, that our experiences, our cars, our share portfolios, our bank accounts, we know they're not really that important. I don't need to, Jesus doesn't need to tell you that. You know it doesn't last beyond this life but we also know our hearts and how even though we know that in here we know that still somehow we're never satisfied we know that often our desire is not for heavenly things it's for the next iphone we we know that all too often what we long for is not to be with our lord but it's the next experience the next holiday or or whatever it is we're looking forward to and we know in our hearts that jesus is right about the two masters and we know we can't have two masters but even though then we think even so we then think maybe I can maybe I'm the one who can try yes Jesus is my Lord yes heaven is my home but gee I really like nice stuff see human sin is a funny thing See, what we do is we take these wonderful gifts God gives us these wonderful gifts of God's creation We take them and instead of receiving them with thanksgiving and enjoying them in a sober way and enjoying them with with circumspection, we let them consume us and we let them drive us to take God's place at the centre of our lives. That's what Paul means when he says this. It's a famous verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. He says, For no one recognised this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. There's so much in that little verse. Uh, Notice, first of all, how greed is seen as just as serious as sexual immorality. Uh, But the point I want us to really see is, he says, to be greedy is to be an idolater. To be greedy is to deny Jesus and worship another God, which really takes it to another level, if you think about it. See, idolatry in the Old Testament law is the worst of sins. To, to fail to worship God but instead give the glory to, to a thing made of stone or wood is the height of sin in the Old Testament. And so Paul's point, point here is for many of us, our idols, the alternative gods we like to worship, are not statues. They are money and wealth and real estate and experiences and really just stuff Brian Rosner, in his great little book, Beyond Greed, and this is a little book review for us. You can get it from Matthias Media. I checked this morning. They've got copies available if you want to water one. It's such an excellent, helpful book in thinking about this. So Beyond Greed by Brian Rosner. Uh, he's, he picks up Ephesians 5.5, and this is what he says. It'll come up on the screen. He says, The most disturbing thing about the fact that greed is idolatry is that hardly anybody owns up to being a worshipper. Imagine the response of disbelief in the local church if it were revealed that the vast majority of its members were secretly worshipping other gods. Yet if our analysis of the religion of money is right, the unthinkable may not be so far from the truth. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? Is it just so normal for us, that the worship of money, that we don't even realise that we're doing it? Is it so normal that we don't even realise the problem? Next passage I want us to see is 1 Timothy 6 that we read before, but it'll come up on the screen. Here the Apostle Paul is warning us how easy it is to start worshipping that idol of money. Look at his passage, he says, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith." And pierce themselves with many pains. It's a famous verse, isn't it? I alluded to it before, and as I said before, people misquote it. They love to say that that actually money is the root of all evil. Actually, no, it's the love of money, and it's of all kinds of of evil, because of course I think pride and lust do a pretty good job at encouraging evil as well. Uh, But don't let the fact that people overstate it take away from its power. The truth is, the love of money leads to evil. That's the point he's making. And we know this is true. So the last bit of the verse there, see how he says, it, it leads to them being pierced themselves with many pains. See, when people love money, it breaks down relationships. If you have ever seen families fight over a will, you know this is true. But there are people who don't talk to each other because they got less money than someone else or they got what was meant to be mine. You see, once money enters an equation fights and jealousy and selfishness and discord, all the other sins we might think about the next few weeks, they all follow. They all flow out of a love of money. But the warning Paul is giving us here is bigger than that. He's saying the desire to be rich, greed, doesn't just damage human relationships, it damages our relationship with God. You see, more than any other thing, it is the desire for more It is earthly treasures, the desire for wealth, the desire for security, more than any other thing, that is what leads people to wander away from their faith in Jesus. And again, we know this is true, don't we? Because we've seen it in people who get captivated by the world. We've seen it, I'm sure, in friends and family who used to follow Jesus but don't as they they get lured in by the world. But actually, we know it's true because we know how easily we get distracted. By the lure of money and possessions and just the things of this world. See, no one makes a conscious decision, I'm going to stop worshipping Jesus and start worshipping real estate. No one makes a conscious decision, I'm going to stop worshipping Jesus and start worshipping whatever the, the thing it is you're chasing. What happens is those things just slowly become the focus of our lives. It is just an irrefutable fact that as our comfort levels rise, Our zeal for serving Jesus falls. Our longing for heaven fades as we find security in money or in our home or in our career or in whatever it is. Our joy and contentment in the gospel gets replaced by a joy in other things, a joy in experiences. Very few people consciously decide to stop worshipping Jesus and start worshipping money. We just slide into it over time. Here's the thing though, I think every Christian here would say amen to everything I have said tonight. Because If you think about really all I've been doing is quoting the Bible for the last 10 or 15 minutes, so I hope you'd say amen. We all agree, everyone says, yes, love of money, dangerous thing. We all agree, I don't want to be greedy. We all think the rich need to be really careful. The problem is, no one thinks that they are rich. No one thinks I'm greedy because there's always someone who has more than me and there's always someone who's greedier than me. As I said at the start, as Christians we sometimes think we should just be less greedy and more generous than the rest of the world instead of making our comparison point the radical attitude of Jesus to money and wealth. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you the poorest amongst us are very, very rich. The poorest in our church family are very, very rich compared to most people throughout history and most people in the world today. That is just an irrefutable fact. If you live in Australia and receive benefits from the government, you are richer than so many people in our world. We we need to think about all sorts of sins the Bible raises, but this is our sin. We are the rich people who Jesus is talking to, the rich people who Jesus says find it hard to get into the kingdom of heaven so what is the answer to this problem of greed well the bible gives us a really simple answer the opposite of greed is contentment in christ and generosity the remedy to greed is to actually not find our security in money not find our meaning in possessions but instead find our security our meaning and our contentment in jesus rather than those things and that will then show itself in generosity we looked at Matthew 6 before on the negative side I want to look at the same passage again but look at the positive side look at what it says it says don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also see jesus is saying find your meaning in life in me in jesus not in your possessions that's where your heart should be centered find your security in him not in your house not in your 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 savings find your contentment in him not in your your next trip or your your next experience recognize that what matters is not this transitory and broken life what matters is eternity set your heart on that and then spend accordingly see if we are people who've come to know jesus if we are people who've accepted his gift of eternal life what matters is our eternal home we say why would i want to accumulate so much wealth here in this world when it will burn away surely you want to accumulate heavenly treasures That you'll be able to enjoy for all eternity. See, if you believe this life is all there is, go out and eat and drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. But if you know Jesus and you know Him as your Lord and Saviour, then you live for eternity. Trust God to provide, be content with what He provides, and that will work itself out then in an attitude of contentment with much less than we actually thought we needed. We've looked at 1 Timothy 6 already tonight, but just before the warning against the rich, I focused on the negative at the start, the positive now, there is this wonderful word of encouragement to the Christian. Look at what it says. It says, but godliness with contentment is a great gain. See, we think, but earning more money is a great gain. But, but having what I feel like I want, is, is it? No, he says, no, godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with these. See, that's godliness. Being content with our needs being met, rather than always wanting the next want to be fulfilled. Here's the thing, though. You you can't manufacture contentment. You, You can't manufacture contentment. If our heart is with Jesus in heaven, then contentment flows. So you don't walk out of tonight and say, I've got to work on being more content. The answer is to focus more on Jesus, see how amazing he is, get your picture of reality in line with his, that actually this world is not the star, this world is not the focus. I'm living for eternity. When you get that right, the contentment flows. If our heart is focused on this world, we will never be content. Now, the problem with all of this, of course, is what? Every person here wants some laws to follow. I I told you this was going to be an inherently dissatisfying sermon at the start. It is, because I can't give you laws. When do you cross that line into greed? What is acceptable to spend on myself? how much is it okay to save and 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 how much how many how many holidays is it okay to take and how many cars is it okay to own I can't answer those questions we're all Pharisees at heart and we all want laws to follow Christianity is not about laws you don't earn your way into heaven by getting to the right side of the line a Christian is someone whose heart is being changed by God's Holy Spirit and so for the Christian it's not about how far can I go it's not about what must I do and what mustn't I do, it's about wanting to serve Jesus, it's about getting our attitude right rather than obeying laws. Having said that, I think there are some decisions we make that are very, very hard to ever justify. When you buy, now this is not my sin so I have no idea, but when you buy an iPhone 37, when you have a perfectly good iPhone 36 working in your hand, Don't try and justify that to anyone. That is greed. That's all that is. It's greed. And our world says it. It even says it's greedy because you want it and you say, yes, I'll do it. When you do that, it's greed. Don't try and justify it. When we say, oh, look, I've got an 86-inch TV screen on my wall, but now they've got an 89-inch. And you go and buy it. That's greed you've got a perfectly good television, why are you buying another one? There are things that are clear-cut, our consumer society is built on greed. When you go to the shops and you've got four perfectly good pairs of sneakers but then you see the ones now that feature in the Barbie movie and you say, I want them, that is greed, that's that's what it's designed for. So when I say it's about attitudes, there are some things that are just so clearly greed, I'm not saying that that there aren't clear-cut sins of greed, But the reality is in the normal decisions of life, sometimes two people might make exactly the same decision and one is driven by greed and the other not. And in that regard, as I say, it's about attitudes rather than laws. But that leads to the other virtue that is the remedy to greed, which is generosity. Now, I'm not gonna focus much on generosity because that is what we're thinking about in our gospel teams this week, uh, this term. Our gospel team did our first study in the generosity book on Wednesday, did other people do the first study in the generosity book on Wednesday night? A few people nodding at me, other people looking at me blankly which worries me but anyway uh, I said, I said uh, at this morning service, I said we had such a great time in our gospel team this week doing the first day of generosity and I looked at some of the members of my group and they were, like and I said I had a great time, I was leading the study but uh, no 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 so we're gonna think about it, we're gonna benefit, make sure you benefit from those studies, but the point I'm gonna make here about generosity is, being radically generous is actually both the sign of true contentment, so you can only be generous if you're content, otherwise you're hoarding, you'll hoard if you're not content, but actually being generous is a way to grow contentment and combat greed. So if we truly believe that God is good, And that everything we have comes from him, we won't be anxious, we'll be content with what we have and that will then show itself in the fact that we're liberated to be generous. The the greedy person will hoard what they have, the content person will show itself in outlandish generosity. But also, God encourages us to be generous before we're content. He actually encourages us to get that sorted because when you're generous, It enables you to actually grow in contentment. That's why in the Old Testament, God wants people to give from their first fruits. You see, before you've even done anything else, he says, set aside the first fruits and hand them over to me. Because by doing that, we're actually learning, content, we're learning to trust that God provides enough for us and, and, and to be content with what we have. When you give from your leftovers, when you say, I'll, I'll spend everything I need and even a few things I want and then I'll work out if there's a little bit left for God, that is no better than the non-Christian who supports the Heart Society or the Royal Lifesavers or whatever other charities you support. When we set aside a generous proportion to God before anything else... God uses that to teach us to trust him and to teach us contentment. I think that's basically the essence of these great verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look with me. He says, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Sadly, those verses get, get taken by people and they say what that's saying is if you are generous, God will make grace overflow to you. He'll give you more. You know, so, that, so the teaching, you've heard of the prosperity gospel where if you give, then God will give you back more. That is a terrible abuse of those verses and the sad thing is there is a much better application from these verses. See, the point is, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly in the joy of seeing what your generosity produces. See, what happens is when you sow generously, you grow in joy, you grow in contentment, you reap generously in what Christians think really matters. And God makes every grace overflow to you in, as you grow in your trust in him, as you grow in your contentment in what you have. You see, if we believe God is good, if we believe everything comes from Him, we're happy to sacrificially give and then trust that He will provide. And that trust, we trust that more than that, God will actually bless us with joy and eternal treasures. But on the other hand, when we so generously, that actually action teaches us to be content. But I'll leave us to explore that more in our gospel team studies. So as we close, what are we to do in the light of this, what do I call it, respectable sin and neglected virtue? I said at the start, I really wanted tonight to just get us thinking. I'm not going to give you answers tonight. I want to get us thinking. I want to start the ball rolling. But here are three quick quick-fire final thoughts. The first is, I think, we need to get serious about thanking God for how blessed we are. We need to get serious about recognising just how blessed we are by God and giving Him the credit. We need to stop thinking that all we have is ours and see it for what it is, a blessing from God to be used for His glory. We need to get serious about having an eternal perspective rather than being so caught up in this world. The reality is, the things we idolise are going to burn away. Why not use them for God's glory? Tied to that, secondly... I think we need to question ourselves and our motives honestly and seriously about our use of money. We need to actually ask ourselves hard questions. My biggest concern is when I or other Christians just make decisions that just look like the decisions people out there make, as if knowing Jesus makes no difference to the decisions I make about how I spend my money, how I I use what God has given me we need to make sure we let ourselves feel the power, the tension in Jesus's words. So I want to say tonight, let's get serious about the reality of our sin of greed, let's recognize it when we see it in ourselves, let's repent of it, let's confess it to God, and I speak here not in judgment but in solidarity, if you like, as a fellow sinner saved only by the grace of Christ, I need to repent in this area and I do not think There is any member of St George North who probably doesn't. We need to seriously ask ourselves at times, do I need this or do I just think I need this? What are my motives? Why do I want this? Why am I spending all the time? Is there a better use of my money? Am I being truly generous or am I giving from my spare change? See, there might be great answers to those questions but if we're not questioning ourselves, if we don't recognise that we live in a world that encourages the normality of greed and so we need to test ourselves and question ourselves, if we don't feel the tension, I feel our hearts are hardened. But my big and final point is, and the thing I really want you to take away, we have to work at finding contentment where we really should be finding it. Stop chasing contentment in the latest experience, the latest thing. And stop chasing security in the things of this world. Our contentment comes from the gospel. And then it should actually come from the relationships we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ because of our unity in the gospel. Too often we find our contentment and joy in the things of this world and so our joy in Christ fades, our joy in our fellowship fades and we need to be amazed by Christ, we need to know Him better and then we won't seek after the things of this world. I'm going to let the book of Proverbs be the final word tonight, it was what was read for us before. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9. He says this, this is the prayer of a wise man. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The prayer of the wise and godly Christian is, give me neither poverty nor riches. Don't give me too much, God, so that I forget you and I start caring too much about the things of this world, but don't give me so little that that I don't have my daily bread, that I, I can't live. See, that is the wise and godly attitude to money. I think we should pray that God would give us hearts that reflect that wisdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father we admit that all too often we are caught up in this world, that the air we breathe of this world, which is all about greed and consumerism, catches us, and we become focused on what we want rather than what we need, and we become focused on finding contentment in this world rather than in Christ. And so, Father, we repent of that and thank you for your forgiveness in Christ. But now, give us wise hearts. Help us to be people like the person who wrote this proverb, Help us to be people who seek not after riches, but instead give us neither poverty nor riches, but give us only our daily bread, so that we would not have too much and disown you, or too little and so dishonor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.